When I was just four years old, my family got a pet rabbit. We decided to keep it in a cage that my father had made, built for him, kind of out beside our garage. It's outside, but caged in, protected from everyone else. This cage was about waist high for everyone else, which meant for me as four years old, I could just barely look in. I could give him a little bit of food and watch whatever he was doing. So I would spend hours and hours having a lot of fun with this rabbit. One day I was out there playing with the rabbit, enjoying all that that I could, and I realized that I needed to go inside to go to the bathroom. Well, I didn't want to miss anything the rabbit might do, so I did what most four-year-old boys sometimes do. I peed my pants. You heard that right. I peed my pants. <laughs> and it was then that I remembered that I had on my brand new cowboy boots. Consequently, I got my boots all wet inside and out. It was really bad. And I remember my mom trying to scrub those boots, but they were never quite the same after that experience. All of us have things in our past that embarrass us. All of us have things in our past that we'd rather forget. We just feel ashamed about them. We just like to pretend they don't exist, but they do. We hope that no one else ever finds out about them. We just want to ignore them. But some of them just can't be ignored. They keep coming back. They keep coming back to kind of haunt us, you know. Every once in a while, as David said in the communion meditation, there's this, this reminder from our accuser, Satan. Don't you remember what you did? Don't you remember what happened? Don't you feel bad about that again? And this morning, we want to start this series of messages called Skeletons in Our Closets because all of us have them. All of us have, have things in our past that we regret, things that we're ashamed of, things that embarrass us. We'd rather they'd never happen, but they did, and they're part of our history. All of us have had hurts done to us. We've had somebody offend us, somebody that abused us, maybe, or somebody that misused us, and, and a good friend betrayed us, or whatever may have happened. And those are in the closet, too. Skeletons in our closets. And this morning, I want to put your minds at ease. <laughs> As we begin this series, you may be wondering, okay, where is this going to go? We're not going to play truth or dare. You know, I'm not going to put you on the spot and say, okay, you stand up. Now you tell everyone what you ever did, ever did in the past. And I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to have some grand moment of confession that the whole congregation goes into. So be uh, uh, aware. Uh, don't, don't be uh, frightened about it. But we are going to do two things. First of all, we're going to acknowledge that those skeletons exist. We're going to acknowledge that we've been hurt or that we have hurt someone else or that we have sinned or that we have made this colossal mistake that we are embarrassed, ashamed about. And even though we've been forgiven, it's still there and it still haunts us. We're going to admit that, even if it's something that we really didn't even do, something that was done to us. And secondly, in this series, I, we're going, I hope we're going to get... Ask for forgiveness. Ask for, for healing. Ask for God to help us get past the past because he wants us to live today and he wants us to face the future. And we need to go to God with conviction, with full expectation that he will not only hear that prayer, that he will answer it because he doesn't want us to live there anymore. He has given us a new life that goes beyond our past into the future. And that is the truth. Now turn with me, if you will, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
If you have your Bible, you can open up to that, follow along on the screen if you don't. But Paul says some amazing things here to the people of the church of Corinth. And remember, he is writing to Christians. He's writing to believers like us. It was a, kind of a messed up church, kind of a church with a lot of problems like most churches I know. You know, people, people are in the church, that's why there's problems. And this is Corinthian church. This is the people of Corinth are, are still struggling. And he says this to them, chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Underline the first part of verse 11 if you have your Bible open. And that is what some of you were. <laughs> this list of wicked behaviors that Paul gives here is not an exhaustive list. It's just representative. It's just some of the common things. People come to Christ out of these situations, out of these behaviors, out of these sins. And that is who they were, but it is not who they are in Christ. That's the point he's making. And the same is true for us. When we come to faith in Christ, we are judged not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. He took our place. He paid our penalties. He died in our place so that we could go free. Why would we want to go back? That's what Paul's talking about. We used to be sinners bound for hell. Remember that. Remember how bad it was. And remember how good it is today. In Christ, we've been washed. We've been cleansed. In Christ, we have been made holy. In Christ, we are justified so that we don't have to pay for our sins. God's grace has given us new life in Christ. Well, another place we're going to turn to is Romans chapter 6. So flip back to that. In Romans chapter 6, he's talking about the new life we have in Christ. He's talking about being baptized in Christ. They were baptized into his death, and we were also baptized into his resurrection. And as Christ was buried and then raised to life by the power of God, we are buried our old self, and we are raised to a new life in Christ. That's the reality. That is a fact when you come to Christ and you trust Him for your salvation. The old man is put away and you have a new life. Notice what he then says, verse 11, Romans 6, 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign a rule in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Underline... <laughs> Some of the things Paul says here in Romans 6, count yourselves dead to sin. Don't let yourself be ruled or reigned 
by sin. We are given new life in Christ. And we are to leave the old behind. And so here's what Paul says in Romans 6. Count yourselves dead to sin. Do not let sin rule over you. And sin is not your master anymore. Jesus is. That's the reality of new life in Christ, but also a very conscious decision we have to make to follow Christ. Sin shall not be our master anymore. When you and I were buried with Christ in baptism, who we used to be is buried forever. All the sin, all the waywardness of our lives is put behind us by the power of God. But that person that we buried back then, what Paul calls somewhere else the old man of sin, you know, who he used to be, it keeps trying to come back to life. It keeps trying to dig its way out of the grave. It keeps trying to hold on to us and grab us again, you know, and, and, and wreak havoc in our lives. It is like, like the skeletons of the closet. It tries to find its way back out the door and give us problems again. And we must not let that old man back. We must keep him in the grave. He must not be allowed to gain control of our lives again. But too many of us let it happen. Paul says, here is the reality of new life in Christ. And you must claim that. You must count yourselves dead to sin. And not let sin be your master anymore. Now how can we get past our past? We're going to look this morning at the example of King David. David, we know from Scripture, was a man after God's own heart. Of all the people in the Bible, we would lift David up as one of the top ones. That, that Man, this guy was true to God. He was following God. He was used by God. He was an amazing journey, amazing life. First and second Samuel detailed David's rise to prominence as the second king of Israel. He replaces Saul, who had failed God and disobeyed God. We first meet David when? When he kills Goliath. Yeah. Here's this young man, maybe a teenager, maybe only 12 or 13, and when everyone else is quaking in fear, he steps up and he says, hey, wait, who is this uncircumcised you know, giant to taunt the armies of God? And he goes out there and he kills him by the power of God. He rises to fame as a soldier, becomes king eventually, and in the early years of his kingdom, David is blessed mightily by God and wins every battle he ever takes on. He continues expanding his kingdom in every direction that he can. And by the time his son Solomon becomes king, there is peace on every side. The surrounding nations are paying homage uh, to Israel. And Solomon has this 40-year rule where he can build a palace and build a temple in Jerusalem and uh, just expand the kingdom even further. So David is here, this, this man after God's own heart, but he was not perfect. He had his issues. He had his problems. One of those was his family. You can see many examples where he didn't, didn't do very well as a father. He didn't, didn't understand some things that maybe he should have. And his kids ended up pretty messed up because of that. The biggest problem we see in David's life, however, is a terrible thing he did in committing adultery and murder. Now, David stayed home at that scene. So we've come to 2 Samuel, around the... 12th chapter, and we see David staying home while the rest of the army is down fighting. And while he's home, instead of at the front where he should have been, he goes out one night and he looks down from the palace roof and he sees a woman bathing in another house on her roof. 
and he lusts after her. And he thinks in his mind, it's okay to think about this. <laughs> it's kind of like the, the guy today, you know, he sees this beautiful woman walk by, and, and if he doesn't stop his thoughts pretty soon, he's thinking all kinds of bad things. You know, he's thinking about being with that woman instead of dismissing the thought, turning his thoughts to somewhere else. And that's what David did. He just, he just kind of played into it, you know. He just gave into the thought, and that lust led to sin because he had the power to have that woman brought to him. And that night he slept with her. And that night she became pregnant. He, she told him later, I'm pregnant with your child. David knows it has to be his because her husband's off to war. He's one of David's mighty men, Uriah the Hittite. And so he says, okay, I'm going to cover this up. He calls Uriah home from the battlefront and says, Uriah, uh, you've been serving me well. Go home to your wife. Uriah is too honorable to do that while his men are still out on the battlefront. So he sleeps outside the palace. He doesn't go home to his wife. David says, oh, that didn't work so well. Second night, he gets him really drunk. He says, man, if, if I can send him home drunk, then he'll probably think that the child is his because he went home to his wife, spent the night with her. But Uriah is still even too honorable in his drunkenness to do that. And so David has to just send him back to the battlefront. And there he asks that they get Uriah killed. Send him out there in the front by himself. All the rest of you withdraw. He'll die in battle. And then he'll be done away with. After a period of mourning, then he takes Bathsheba's his wife. Now, no one else, he hopes, understands that that's his child, but if anybody is close to David, they know the time frame. They know Uriah has been gone. He never went back home again. And there are people around know what has happened. But David continues to live in denial, continues to, to uh, play out this little scheme that he's cooked up, and his cover-up plan doesn't work because David needed to get past his past. And so God sent a prophet to David, his name was Nathan. And the prophet Nathan is sent to him to catch him in his sin and to bring him back to God. And Nathan tells David a parable. He says there were these two men, one very rich, one very poor. The poor man only had one little lamb. The rich man had many lambs. And yet when a friend came to visit the rich man, instead of using one of his lambs for the feast, he stole the lamb from the poor man who only had one. Well, David jumped up out of his throne. He said, wait a minute, that's wrong. That guy needs to die. And Nathan then turned to him and he says, you're the man. You did that, king. Uriah had one wife. You had many. Uriah had one little home. You had a palace and a kingdom. And yet you stole his wife. And he said to David, because of your sin, the child born to you and the woman will die. Well, David begged God to spare the child, but he didn't. The consequences stayed even though David was forgiven. Isn't that true of our lives? You know, we get forgiven, and yet consequences remain. We still have to face some of those consequences. So what I want to look at here in a few minutes together is what did David do? What did David do? Now he's confronted with his sin. Now he has to face it head on. He's looking at his past, which he's been trying to hide for months. What did he do, and what can we learn from that? What can we do? Pastor Bill Cornelius had some ideas I want to share with you this morning. It really spoke to my heart. I hope they'll speak to yours. First one he said was, confess where you went wrong. In 2 Samuel 12, 13 and 14, the Bible says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. So confess where you went wrong. Confess it to the Lord. Confess it to anyone else you have wronged. Our gut reaction might be to say, well, there's no way I can do that. That's too embarrassing. Would you rather live where you are living? Would you rather keep doing what you're doing? Do you think living a lie is any better than confession? There's a spiritual principle that falls in place when we confess. And that spiritual is this. If you keep on lying, you keep the sin alive. But it's supposed to be done. It's supposed to be gone. But by lying, you're keeping it in play. You're keeping it active. You're keeping it alive. But when you confess it, you kill its power over you. You kill its hold on you. When you get it out in the open and you acknowledge what you've done and you confess that and you try to to make restitution or, or make things right as far as you can, it changes the whole dynamic. That sin no longer has its hold on you. All of us have things we're ashamed of, we said. All of us have things that we uh, regret. But confession brings relief. Confession brings release. It's therapeutic. You don't have to live a double life anymore. You are set free. And, you know, if you did confess, you'd probably be surprised at how many things people can actually forgive you of. People are, are more gracious than you might imagine. Especially people who love you. Confession. Confess where you went wrong. It is the key to freedom. Second thing David did was he accepted what he couldn't change. David accepted his child's death. Now, at first, when Nathan said, your child's going to die, David immediately began fasting and praying. And the Bible says that for seven days he laid on his face before God, asking God to spare that child's life. He hoped that God would relent, that God would change his mind. But when he didn't, David immediately accepted God's will and moved on with his life. 2 Samuel 12.20 says this, Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. And then he went to his own house and at his request they served him food and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me. He may let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. In other words, David is saying, I have asked for the Lord to spare the child's life, but now that he's done what he said he was going to do, I just have to accept that. And I have to move on with my life because God has given his answer. He accepted what could not be changed. And when we accept what we cannot change, we're saying, I can't change what I did, but I can change who I am today. I can change me. I can't change what I did or even some of the consequences of my actions, but I can change how I behave from this time forward. I'm not the guy that did that anymore. In Christ, I am someone new. Accepting what cannot be changed is also seen in gaining some self-awareness to see where your, the chinks in your armor are, to see where your weaknesses are. Bill Cornelius says you need to know where your kryptonite is. 
You need to know what can put you on your knees, what can hurt you, what can make you fail again. And if you know that about yourself, you can avoid those areas. If you have problems with the Internet, don't go to the Internet or find a way to do that in a healthy way. If you have problems looking with lust on other people, uh, avoid being around those people that you have problems with. If you have a problem with drinking, if you have a problem with drugs, if you have a problem with all kinds of things that, that may be your weakness, then learn self-awareness and learn to accept what isn't going to be changed anytime soon. But I can have a plan. I can have a plan for avoiding that. Remember what we learned in Romans 6. Sin is not your master, but Jesus is. Third thing David did, he focused on prayer and worship, and he moved forward. Now we're not going to read chapter 12, verse 20 again from 2 Samuel, but this verse simply says that David got up from his fasting and praying, cleaned himself up, and worshipped the Lord. Even before he satisfied his personal need for food, which I think was pretty great after seven days of not eating. Even before that, it says, he cleaned up and he went and worshipped the Lord. Why is that? Well, Bill Cornelius said, the people who understand worship the most are the people who understand grace the most. People who know that God has stepped in and redeemed them when they were not deserving of that are the people who worship in sincerity and in truth. How is your worship? What is your understanding of grace? What has been your personal experience of God's grace? Because out of gratitude for what God has done for you, you're going to live a different life than you would have otherwise. If you want to get past your past, you need to focus on prayer and worship. Draw close to God every day. Grow closer and closer to God as you live for Him. Uh, just feed on God. And your life will be different than it was before. And by His grace, you're able to move forward. Whatever you've done, whatever someone has done to you, I want to challenge you this morning to minimize that. It's part of the past. God has a bright future for you, and there is no point to going back and living that past over and over again. If you want to do that, if you want to go through the offense and the pain that followed that over and over again, let me quote Dr. Phil. How's that working for you? It's not working so good. I'm stuck. The skeleton is, is putting its bony hand out the door and grabbing me. The dead man of sin is coming back and he's hanging all over me and he's dragging me down. So face forward. Don't live your life always looking in the rearview mirror. <laughs> Can't drive too well that way. Pray to God. Move forward. Your future in the Lord is far too important to get stuck in the past. So here's what David did. 2 Samuel 12, 24 says this. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. They just lost a child. And he went to her and he lay with her. She gave birth to a son, second child. And they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, loved Sol Solomon. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. And Jedidiah means loved by the Lord. This was something that God was pleased with. David moved on. David said, I can't stop what I did. I can't change that. I'll accept that. I'm going to move forward with God. And he helped Bathsheba to move forward with God. And the result was Solomon. Best parts of the story yet to come. After the child died, he went to Bathsheba. 
and they conceived Solomon. Now, there's nothing you and I can do about our past, but we can worship the Lord and keep moving forward. Fourth thing, focus on what's left, not on what's lost. There are losses of all kinds. As you've experienced losses. If you've lived more than 10 years, you've experienced losses. There's loss of loved ones. There's loss of uh, people in their marriage through divorce. There's broken relationships and friendships of other kinds. There's lost jobs. There's lost opportunities. The list is endless. You know, If you want to talk about lostness, we'd have a very long list. But if we keep focusing on what we've lost, we won't appreciate what we still have left. David could have spent a lot of time looking back, but he didn't. He looked forward. And we need to quit focusing on our past hurts. And we think to, need to thank God for what we have today. We need to thank God for the future He's prepared for us. Quit living your life offended. Quit living your life hurt. And blaming it on someone else to say, if they would only have done this, I could have been so much better. Forget that stuff and move forward. Get past the past. Make restitution where you can. Make things right if you can. But resolve to move forward. Focus on what's left, not on what's lost. I heard a man who went to prison. And like a lot of people who go to prison, he was still claiming innocence even though he was guilty. Now, not everybody's guilty that goes to prison, I know. But this man was. And he knew it, but he's still telling everybody, I'm innocent, I don't know why they're putting me in jail. But after he'd been there a few months, he had a change of heart. Because he knew he was guilty. And he realized that he needed to come clean. And so he did. He came clean with himself first. He admitted it to himself. And then he confessed it to the people around him and he said, I deserve to be here. This is, this is my just due. He confessed his crime. He started serving his sentence, looking for the day he would be released, but knowing he was only getting what he deserved. And I want you to know something about that man. He is more free in prison than many people outside that prison who are still pretending that they're not guilty, who are still letting the skeletons in the closet control their lives to come clean and to move forward. He is much freer in prison than many people outside. Stop thinking about where you were. Start thinking about what you have gained in Christ. Focus on the new life He's given you. By God's grace, you and I can move past our past. We can live the new lives God intends for us to live. But to do so, we have to confess what we've done wrong, we need to accept what cannot be changed, and we need to focus on our relationship with God and step forward. Move forward into the future He's prepared for us. And to sum it all up, let me just encourage you, as we begin this series together, Trust God in everything. That's really where Paul was. He says, that's where you were, but not where you are. God has given you a new opportunity. 1 Corinthians 6. Romans 6, he says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Because that's the reality. But every day you need to claim that. Every day you need to put your, your confidence in God that there is a new future for you. A new life in Christ. And so from that day on, when David's child had died, he started trusting God completely again. From that day on, he started trusting God wholeheartedly again. He became a man after God's own heart once again. He became the man God wanted him to be. He was not perfect, but he kept following God with his whole heart. And that's what God wants us to do. 
a beggar stopped a lawyer on the street in a large city and asked him for some coins. Taking a long, hard look into the beggar's unshaven face, the attorney asked, Don't I know you from somewhere? And the man took a second look at the lawyer and he said, Yeah, you should. I'm your former classmate. Remember? Second floor, old Oxford High School. He says, Why, Sam, of course it's you. I know you. Without further question, the lawyer wrote him a check for $1,000. And he said, Here, take this and get a new start. I don't care what's happened in the past. I don't know why you're here where you are today, but... But it's the future that counts. So go cash this check and start your life over. And with that, the lawyer hurried on. Tears welled up in the man's eyes at what he'd been given, of course. And he walked to a bank nearby. He got as far as the door and he looked inside that bank. You know, there's always glass across the front. And he could see how beautiful it was inside. He could see the well-dressed people that were inside. And then he looked at his own filthy rags. And he said, they're not going to take this check from me. They're going to think I forged it. And he turned away. The next day, the two men happened to meet again on the sidewalk. And the lawyer said, well, Sam, what did you do with that check? Why are you still dressed like that? Did you gamble it away? Did you drink it all up? What happened? He said, no. And he pulled the check out of his dirty shirt pocket. And he explained what happened, why he hadn't cashed it. And the lawyer said, listen, friend. He said, what makes this check good is not your clothing or your appearance, but my signature. Now go cash it. (laughs) And that is the message that God is giving to each of us today. That in our filthiness and the reminder of our past, we are wallowing around and we're, we're still living on the streets homeless. And God has said, you are my child. You are my chosen possession. You are my son or my daughter. I have given you new life by my grace. I have signed the check. Now go cash it. By God's grace, He gives us a second chance, a new start. He is faithful to the promises He has made. He has given us His Spirit to overcome. And we just need to have the confidence to claim what He has done and then step out into the future He has prepared for us. Let's pray. Father, I ask that You would be with each of us today, that we would not be haunted by our past, that we would not be... uh, held in bondage by the things we have done wrong because you have cleared us of those. You have cleansed us of those. We pray today that as we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we would know that that old man of sin is dead and buried and we have been given new life in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just ask that you would remind us day by day of that amazing grace. And out of gratitude, we will be able to step forward and move into the future that you have given us, never to be reclaimed by our past. If there is anyone here today, Lord, that needs to make that first step toward Jesus so that they can confess and they can turn from sin and they can be washed by the Spirit of God, that they could be baptized into Christ and they could experience the new life by your grace. Help them to make that decision today, Father. Bless us even as we continue worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to sing a song. It's Amazing Grace. You know that part. may not know the other part as well, but probably.